Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Tax season is approaching, bringing potential extra cash your way. Rather than spending it all on an expensive deal filled with yada yada from your current wireless plan, consider switching to Metro by T-Mobile for no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada you don't take yada yada in life don't take yada yada from your wireless provider metro by t-mobile has no contracts no credit checks no surprises and nada yada yada stop by one of over six thousand metro stores nationwide this episode of Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Plus, build your dream setup with great deals on select game Gaming monitors, mice, and more must-have electronics and accessories. When you shop online at Alienware.com deals, you'll have access to leading-edge gaming technology to conquer the competition and free shipping on everything. Amazing prices await you for a limited time only at Alienware.com deals. That's Alienware.com deals. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our friend Noel is on adventures, but will be returning in the future. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Matt, this is a, uh, this, this a wide-ranging episode for us today, isn't it? It is, but it brings in topics that we've been covering over the past seven years. Are believe, we seven or not? I think almost seven. Uh, In this year, we will become seven. But uh, yeah, we we've hit on a lot of the topics that we're going to kind of pull in here. So hopefully, you've listened to many of the episodes. <laughs> uh, if not, maybe go back. You know, yeah. check out check out some of the ones that you can kind of infer that we're going to be talking about with this topic, as you've read in the title, mm. and then come back to this episode because we are going to be pulling in a lot of 
stuff, and we we're not going to have time to hit everything in complete detail. Mm-hmm. And this uh, this wide ranging episode is also by its nature collaborative, as we of course hope all of our episodes are, uh, because uh, we need your help. We want your involvement. As we often say, you, specifically you, are the most important part of this show. Those are not empty words. As as a matter of fact, uh, to prove <laughs> that these are not empty words, mm-hmm. to put our money where our mouths are or where your ears are as you <laughs> listen to this, uh, you know, Matt, I, I checked on our Twitter at conspiracy stuff on Twitter, I checked on our Twitter feed, and I had no idea that uh, we we have more people befriending us on Twitter than I thought. Yeah, not 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 a big number. Um, it's in, a big number in absolute terms, but it was bigger than I thought it was. It's a for for us. It's a big number. <laughs> um, I, you want me to say what it sure, is exactly? Yeah, where are we at? Uh, according to the mobile version, we have. 29,200-something followers. Holy smokes. Well, we, we don't consider you followers, by the way. Yeah, that's right. That's an awful word. You are a fellow conspiracy realist. You are a fellow listener. So we thought we would uh, give some of you a quick shout-out at the top of the show. Uh, and we hope that the people we shout-out are listening, but we want to share what they said with you, especially for those of us who are not on Twitter. So uh, unless everybody hates this, we're going to make <laughs> this a regular thing. Here we go. Uh, we'll just we'll just read a few. Shout out to Shupda1, Stuart Hopfer, over there on Twitter, uh, who's responding to our recent coronavirus episode. We do have an update coming. And Stuart, you said, I listened to this episode and there's something you should have mentioned. Aside from wearing a mask to not get sick or catching something, they have also been worn for those who have not done their makeup, which <laughs> really, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, so maybe you're in a hurry and uh, you feel like you should have, uh, as they say, put on your face, but you didn't have time. So yeah. you say, "I'll just I'll slap on the mask. I'm just running to the store." Yeah, it's interesting, huh? It really is. I, I never would have thought about that. And so uh, here's here's a, another one. Uh, Patrick Lee, 6669, uh, was responding to our our earlier tangent about ridiculous DC villains. Yes. And he hipped us to uh, this fantastic Batman villain, Ten-Eyed Man. Patrick just said, look him up. Ten-Eyed Man? Yeah. He's got uh, – his thing is that his only superpower – is that he wears a headband over where the rest of us normals would have eyes, and his eyes, the Ten-Eyed Man's eyes, are on the tips of his fingertips. What? Uh, what? They're on his, <laughs> yeah, not tips of his fingertips is, is redundant, but they're on his fingertips. Oh, so we're talking about Philip Reardon. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've seen the costume that has eyes going down his chest. Yeah, those are decorative, though. His real power yeah, yeah, is in the fingertips. <laughs> oh, man. This is really cool. He's in the bat, the Batverse? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> He's uh, up there with the Joker, I assume, <laughs> as, as the, uh, the most powerful of Batman's villains. Uh, and uh, last one for today, last Twitter shout-out for today is... 
RNGen311 uh, says, have you all heard of and watched the documentary Active Measures on Hulu? My tinfoil hat is on and conspiracies are, fo- are afoot. Check it out if you get a chance. Folks, let us know if you've seen Active Measures. Uh, I have not. Uh, let let us know if it's if it's worth a while for your fellow listeners. And thanks to you guys. Thanks to everyone who has befriended us on Twitter and joined the ranks of the Conspiracy Realist. Again, we are at Conspiracy Stuff. If you ever want to just shoot off a quick tweet to us while you're while you're hearing something, this episode may may get a little personal for people. I know it's it's full confession, a little bit personal for me. Uh, Matt, as you pointed out earlier, today's episode is uh, a gestalt, you know, it's cumulative. It's going to trend a bit toward the philosophical, but we've based it on uh, some pretty hard and at times sobering science. As you said, in the past, we've explored specific, concrete examples of things like resource extraction. That's where that's where a state actor or a corporation or state-sponsored corporation goes into usually a developing country and purposefully keeps the people broke while taking things like their lithium or their cobalt or their sugar or their, uh, you know, their cocoa bean production. Yeah, and the the more recent modern version of that is exactly what you said up top there, the minerals, the – Things that are needed to produce technologies. Right. The rare earth elements, mm-hmm. right? The rare earth metals. So we've also looked at global health crises such as uh, the the idea of a, a super bug, right? Yeah. Shout out to you, livestock industry. <laughs> Thanks for yeah. making antibiotics useless. And also shout out to Seattle right now who recently had to close down schools because of the COVID-19 Got to get in front of it. And here where we are in Atlanta, Fulton County Mm -hmm. is experiencing the beginnings of an outbreak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the outbreak is already happening. Yes, but we're we're actually seeing it, right? We're actually seeing uh, the numbers beginning to rise Mm -hmm. as they do in a – in a localized area. Right, exactly. It's starting to hit home and we're seeing actions being taken. We've also looked at unethical corporate or state behavior, tale as old as time. We've looked at overpopulation. Is it alarmism? Uh, are we being too uh, are, are we being too sedate in our response to the threats? We're certainly using too much stuff. We are certainly using too much stuff. That's right. Today we are combining all of these previous investigations to answer a single uh, damning question. And it's a question that people have racked their brains over for millennia, and it is this. Is there enough for everyone? In, in other words, can this planet support the current human population? And we don't mean just like keep them alive, matrix style, but we mean give them lives they consider worth living. And this is, this is an enormous and profound question. I mean, after all, for billions of people, this world is a brutal, dangerous place. Life is hard. It is painful. It is often terrifying. And there's only one cold comfort for a lot of people suffering, and that's that the folks on the receiving end of the majority of life's terrors often tend not to live long. Wow. 
That's not bleak. That's not bleak at all, Ben. <laughs> it is super bleak. It is super Jesus. bleak. So is there enough for everyone? Here are the facts. Wait, wait, Matt, what do we mean when we say everyone right now? Well, right now, as of Friday, March 6, 2020, at 11.21 a.m. Eastern Time, there are 7 billion. Seven hundred and sixty-nine million sixty-four thousand seven hundred and forty-four people. <laughs> it, it just changes. It keeps changing. It keeps changing, and the clock keeps running up. That's so many people. We cannot. Science proves that, that it's very difficult for our brains to grok the concept of one billion. Like, yeah, I can't grok one billion. No, no, I can't. <laughs> I have a tough time with that too. Uh, and this is this is a new development, right? The number of you're laughing because I said grok. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a word, right? I, People I, use that. I I've never used it, but I enjoy it very much. I might be in the wrong timeline again. But uh th- this is a relatively new development. The number of quote unquote whoosh, whoosh, modern human beings on earth has been pretty small until very 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 recently. Yeah, just uh, 10,000 years ago, think about that, 10,000 years ago, there might have been no more than a few million people wandering around on the planet, and those populations are going to be pretty far spread. And the 1 billion mark wasn't passed until the 1800s, very early in the 1800s. The 2 billion mark wasn't passed until the 1920s. So we have just, just exponentially exploded here, and all of us walking around just because of where we live, because of the cultures in which we live, we want a whole bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. just stuff that we use. A lot of times we throw it away. Sometimes we keep it around for a couple of years until it breaks and then throw it away. Maybe we can recycle it. Maybe we can reuse it in a way, but generally it ends up in the trash. Here's the thing. We all have different ideas of what that stuff should be, mm-hmm. like we said, because of that culture. But we only need a few basic things. We only need a few basic things. Right, right. It's a it's a conversation that a lot of uh, parents in the crowd have had with their children. Uh, a lot of us have had this conversation with our own parents, uh, where wherein the adult explains the difference between what you need and what you want. It's never a super fun conversation for the kid, and it's probably not a super fun conversation for the adult. But it's true, Matt. We only need a few basic things. Let, let's look at it. Like, Here's a, here's a question. How much food does one person need? Not want, but need. Turns out people don't actually need a ton of calories to survive every day. According to the U.S. Department of Health, adult males generally require somewhere between 2,000 to 3,000 calories per day, so every 24 hours, to maintain their weight. And adult females need around 1,600 to 2,400. Of course, those numbers are super loose and and, and the concept of uh, gender, you know, is is somewhat problematic. But but what we're saying is that's that's the ballpark, somewhere between 1,600 to 3,000, not to gain muscle mass and hulk out and not to shed a bunch of weight and get felt enough to wear, you know, your old bell bottoms or something. Yeah, and it's all – the calorie is a measurement of energy, right? Right. So it all depends on the uh, output that you're having as well, how much energy you're using. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If you, for instance, 
have a relatively sedentary existence, you're going to be on the lower end of the caloric scale. And if you have a very physically active existence, then you're going to need more fuel for the fire. Of course, you know, our species is nothing if not durable. People can and do survive long often harrowing periods, deprived of proper nutrition. And, you know, you can bounce back from that. But after a certain point, you will also experience lifelong medical consequences of that. Furthermore, epigenetics proves that the medical consequences of long periods of privation will carry on uh, after you die. They'll carry on in your genetic code and the way it expresses in your offspring. And there is also the concept here that occurs in this country and many other places across the world where you are hitting or exceeding those calories that you need, but the nutrition of those calories is not what you need, right? You're not actually getting the things within the food you're consuming to make a healthy body. Yeah, exactly. Now, we've got that number. So they're almost... 7.8 billion people, they need somewhere between 1,600 and 3,000 calories every 24 hours just for things to be status quo. How much does the world eat? This is interesting. This is a related question. This is crazy. Yeah. Globally, every 60 seconds, we eat 11.5 million pounds of food. As, uh, that's everybody. That's our collective tab at the buffet of the world. One minute, 11.5 million. So to put that in terms we understand, I think you and I were talking about this on a previous episode, how people in the U.S. will do – will make up any kind of measurement to avoid using the metric system. Yes. Okay. So to put that in terms we can understand, that's about 20 million Big Macs every, uh, every 60 seconds. Wow. Mm-hmm. So if you love Big Macs, that's, that's the metric for you. If you hate them, well, that, that'll just make the rest of the bad news we're going to get to even more harrowing. So here's the catch. While we actually eat that 11.5 million pounds of food in one minute, we also waste 2,472 tons. Dude, I'm looking at the world food clock right now. Mm-hmm that has all of this, how much is produced, consumed, and wasted. And it's a, the food clock counts up every second of, of those three metrics. Yeah. It, I'm like, I hate it. I'm terrified. I'm just, I'm staring at it while you're telling me these facts, Ben, and yeah. my brain is exploding a little bit. It's crazy. Oh, and uh, just to get us into more of an apples to apples comparison there, 11.5 million pounds. That's like 5,133 tons. And that doesn't count the 2,472 tons that are just straight in the garbage can. So logically then, if we were more efficient, this means that we could feed everyone. We, we could feed everyone every day. We just don't. There's uh, no, no, and there's yeah. other stuff to get into there that yeah. we're going to talk about later. Yes, about why, but why we currently can't or won't. Yes, but uh, yeah, yeah let, let's continue. Why? Why it's not happening? Yes. even though it's possible. <laughs> yeah. So let's. I, w- I want to bracket to the side the problem with water, with potable or drinkable water. It's a different case, unfortunately. It's one we're going to have to tackle in an episode all its own. Because, spoiler alert, while the news about food does have a happy ending, the news about water, 
doesn't, yeah, doesn't really. More than 2 billion people of the 7.8 billion people here on Earth lack clean drinking water at home available on demand, meaning of the 7.8 billion, more than 2 billion don't have a faucet they can go to in their house that just turns on and gives them water that won't kill them. A major UN report from back in 2018 in June shows that the world is way off track. The United Nations had a goal, which was to bring safe water and sanitation to everyone on the planet by 2030. We're not going to make that happen. It's a, the 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 pigeon of potable water has flown the coop. By 2050, in fact, half of the world's population just might not have safe water. And here's the – well, currently, here's the deal. There are only really two ways to change these numbers, and that is to reduce the number of people that need to have clean drinking water or is to somehow revolutionize the purification technology or get some – this is the third option – get some kind of angel, billionaire, trillionaire investor or group of investors to – just put the money in to make it happen. Right, right. To get some of that uh, billionaire blessing for purification technology. Or if we want to get really space age, uh, we could look into somehow getting non-terrestrial sources of water, right? To farm a comet or something. Yeah, I know. Totally. I, I'm just trying to imagine the cost difference between farming right, the water right, right. from a comet. I know. <laughs> just, just cleaning some water, making a plant in places where there there aren't those plants. Yeah, it's it's the equivalent of let's go out and buy water, and someone say, "No, we have water at home. Just clean it." Right. Yeah. So we also I like that you brought up money because we want to we need to just touch on that the average income. So we have all the we have these billions of people. What what does the average person take home? This is a tricky question, and there's no way to really contextualize it and do justice to the reality on the ground because we have to remember there are vast amounts of income inequality. But if we total up all of the available information, then we find the average global household income is something like $9,773 per year. So a little under 10 grand per household per year. A lot of people listening in the West already make more than that on their own. And a lot of people do not. And then, of course, we have to remember that number factors in people like Jeff Bezos of yeah. Amazon. So that guy is busting the curve for everyone. And then a lot of almost or very close to zero. Right, right. A ton of yeah. that. Yes. And those results come from uh, some Gallup research between 2006 and 2012 in 131 populations. Here's how, here's how screwed up that metric is. Income in the top 10 wealthiest populations in the world are more than 50 times that of those in the 10 poorest populations. And all of the 10 poorest populations are currently located in sub-Saharan Africa. So we hit money, we hit water, we hit food, and now we have to confront the big, big, uh, <laughs> the big elephantine grim reaper in the room, which is mortality. And we'll do that after a word from our sponsor. 
Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life and you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VTW Group. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals, it was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. All right, so we have all of these people. We have all of these needs. By the way, we also need love. And that's really all you need. That's the Beatles. According to the Beatles, yeah. 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 Um, but uh, let's look at how we are exiting this, this planet, exiting this uh, experience that we call life. In 2017, uh, as of uh, officially three years ago, 56 million people died that year. And the top three causes were cardiovascular disease. There were 17.65 million deaths uh, due to cardiovascular disease. That represents 32.26% of all the deaths. And then cancers came in second. There were 8.93 million deaths. Uh, that were caused by cancer or at least in, in some way associated with cancer. And the share of deaths there is 16.32%. And then next up is respiratory disease coming in at 3.54 million deaths. And that is 6.48% of all of the deaths. So health issues here, major health issues with our bodies and how they function. 
Yeah, and we have to note those top three causes of death are umbrella terms. Cardiovascular disease encompasses several different conditions. Not all cancers are created equally, of course, and so on and so on. And equitable access to medical care would vastly reduce these numbers, as would preventative measures like tighter pollution controls and, and, and the like. When we look at shelter and clothing, we know that, uh, you know, one man's, one man's shack is another man's castle or, or however you want to you wanna trot out that old cliche. There's clearly enough. Uh, there's clearly enough around. Given that, given that shelter can be built out of so many things, yes, there's clearly enough uh, enough there to create housing for people. I mean, in a lot of uh, developed countries, even there's still a huge homeless problem, uh, and there are a lot of empty buildings. But the homeless population is not allowed to take shelter in there uh, because, of course, concerns for crime. Right. Yeah, I was I was going to say when you when you're speaking about shelter, it can be defined really as anything that's going to protect uh, a person from the elements as well as impending danger from some kind of outside force. Right, right. And we've had a high look at the numbers then, right? We've covered some of the basics. These numbers are not perfect, but we see some commonalities. We see that outside of water – Outside of clean drinking water, which is a huge necessity, uh, the trend seems to indicate that there, uh, there, there is potential for people not to go hungry. There's potential for people not to be homeless, right, and to maybe even collectively have a better quality of life. So with that, let's get to the question, is there enough for everyone? Here's where it gets crazy. The answer is actually yes. And this, this should not necessarily make anybody happy. This should be troubling that the answer is yes. This should be very troubling. Be- because, yeah, the, because that answer is yes, then our next immediate question is, well, what gives? Why isn't this happening? Let's look at food. Uh, so you've heard stuff about food scarcity. Shout out to people like Norman Borlaug and the Green Revolution – The fact of the matter is that right now, the world already produces enough to eat. We actually produce a surplus. This world creates more than 1.5 times enough food to feed literally everyone. That's enough to feed 10 billion people. And 10 billion people, just for a bookmark, is where experts expect the population to peak uh, around 2050, so not that not that far away. If you're listening uh, to this podcast, uh, the odds are in your favor of being alive when there are 10, pe- 10 billion people around, or when there are ten. Who knows? We'll roll the dice. We're never going to make it that far. <laughs> <laughs> so in, uh, there's a problem though because that food, when we say just food in general. It's an umbrella term, and as we as we had discussed earlier, that that term encompasses a lot of grain, the staple yeah. of the global diet, and the bulk of the grain produced by agribusiness, bulk of industrially produced grain, goes to feeding livestock in confined feedlots, and goes to biofuels, rather than going uh, to the one billion starving or um, 
food insecure people on the planet. So again, it's not that we can't feed everyone. It's more that we can't feed everyone the kind of food everyone wants. And well, and we also destroy a lot of those grains that are created in order to control the price of said grains, which means like it if you could just decide instead of destroying it or throwing it away or, you know, getting rid of it in that way and you just used it to feed people for no cost. Well, I, when I, well, God, right. we're going to get this later. When I say no cost, I just mean you're not actually selling it or anything. You're literally donating it. But in order then to get that grains to the places, to the needy people that would, would want it, mm-hmm. then it costs a lot of money. Right, right. And shout out to our previous recent episode on farm subsidies. It is true that a lot of governments pay farmers to not grow food. Even when, you know, for, there are tons of concerns. Listen to that episode for more information. But think about it this way. Let's take it to an individual level. If you knew with certitude that none of those one billion people would ever need to starve again, but it meant that you and everyone else you knew would have to change your diet, you could realistically maybe eat meat once a month or once a year, or, or never again, would you be able to make that trade-off? The problem there is that if we're being realistic, we would, we would not have a way to know everyone else was playing by the rules. Can you imagine the, the black meat market? Oh, man. Yeah, I've seen there, – there are things about that in sci-fi, you know, when – like when lab-grown protein or lab-grown meat uh, becomes the normal – then how much will people pay for a, a real steak? And then the concentric circles uh, around the black meat market and the red meat market become troubling. Right, right. Uh, for many of us, this already sounds like a losing proposition. And it's hard to fault people for that. It's something called the tragedy of the commons, which we've mentioned before on, in this show. The tragedy of the commons essentially is this – it's the idea that there is something – a public resource that everybody uses. Like if we didn't have agribusiness and you just foraged uh, from – everybody in the village foraged from the same field or whatever and stuff just grew naturally. But you had to take steps to make sure that that food grew next year. But why would you? It's not yours. It's just a place you go to and grab food, right? Yeah. And then everybody grabs food and then it's gone. And then you just uh, – you go through this increasing um, this increasing crescendo of passing the blame. You know what I mean? Like I just ate what I wanted. It's The problem is never me. It's all, all these other schmucks. So it's understandable that this would look like uh, an unnecessary cost for us to put on ourselves. Why should I have to punish myself to help a billion people that I will never meet, right? And why should I have to punish myself or hold myself to standards that I cannot prove other people are meeting, you know? So if we look at uh, – this is, by the way, this is not taking in medicine. We're just we're, – we're putting that to the side because – uh, me- the medical care stuff, like water, is is almost its own episode. Yeah, and again, bringing in costs 
the right. time it takes to train people and medications that would be affordable to save lives. All right. So next question. So we can do this stuff. Technically, potentially, we're not. So why not? Why are we not giving every other human being what they need to survive? Essentially, it's because doing so, even if everybody wanted to, doing so would necessitate a massive transfer of resources and wealth, something on something that uh, like on the level that it has never occurred in human history. It, it boggles the mind. And part of it is because of uh, – we're, we're talking about inequality. Up there with mortality, that's the other elephant in the room. And when we talk about inequality – we often tend to think in these uh, these extremes, you know, because extremes are easy cognitive shortcuts. We think of the billionaires, for example, on one end of a scale and the hopelessly deprived on the other end of the curve. But honestly, we have to give ourselves perspective. If you own a device that allows you to listen to a podcast, for example, then you are, globally speaking, much more likely to be one of the haves rather than one of the have-nots. A lot of people considered poor in a developed country, for instance, may still have a better quality of life overall than a relatively well-off person in a least developed country. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, then the question becomes, what do we do about that? Again, without having, you know, even if everybody's on board, except for the trillionaires, the billionaires, uh, like how do you get those people, those corporations to decide that it's a better thing for everyone if we raise all ships? Right. That leads us to another question. You know, what's the solution? Can technology save us? It's something we'll tackle after a word from our sponsor. Join Metro. They help you stay ahead of the game with nada, yada, yada. That means no contracts, no credit checks, and no surprises. Outsmarting yada, yada means, uh, you know, taxis and stuff. Shady subscriptions. Did you guys ever order something online and you thought it was just like a one-time purchase, but then you found yourself subscribed? Yeah, I had to call and stop payment on something because I had subscribed to it through Apple Pay. And even though I had like put a new card on there, it still was uh, tied to whatever card was associated with my Apple Pay. So I had to like go through this whole process of getting it pulled. It was really, really annoying. Well, that'll never happen with Metro by T-Mobile because you don't take yada yada in life. And you're not going to take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada, helping you stay ahead without compromising on things you love the most. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. 
Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zikazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's kid-safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids! <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. And we're back. All right, here's one for the budding technocrats in the audience, the yeah. people who are very forward to the future, right? Another, I, another question after an ad break. <laughs> Can technology save us? Yeah, yeah. The answer is yes. Maybe. Let's say the answer is yes, but probably not. Oh, dear. Yeah. See, for most of human history, we just didn't have the organization necessary to handle the logistics involved. You might have people in one part of the world who had a surplus of grain because the weather was favorable. And people in a different region, you know, maybe they were combating droughts or floods. And as a result, their harvest didn't come through and they starved. And let's say that the people with the surplus of grain heard about this distant land that needed help. Even if the people with that surplus wanted to feed their fellow humans, even if they tried very hard, for most of human history, they just wouldn't have the means to get the food or medicine or resources to those folks in time to make a difference. Now, for the first time ever, that has changed we can ship almost anything, almost anywhere. But it costs money. And it costs money because of fuel, because of the existing technology that can travel. It costs money because you have to have uh, the logistics in place to figure out what is going where. And that's, you know, a bunch of people employed a lot of times, huge facilities and to all, make that stuff happen. All money is is a representation of labor over time, right? It is. So, so we're we would have to to ship stuff. We essentially have to give people uh, these placeholders for time that was spent earlier, right? And we do that in the form of currency. So we have to we have to help these people justify their labor, their time, right? And that that is a huge, huge hurdle. But if there was some other thing, not saying that we have an answer, and I'm not I'm not even saying there should be some other thing, but if if there was quote unquote no cost, then we could literally feed every single hungry person on the planet. We're not. Yeah. So so what can we do? 
can emerging technology and energy improvements and a lot of these things that are out there that are happening, we know are coming. It's just when will they get here? Will those things move the needle enough to help everyone's ship rise a little bit? Because, you know, there really is interesting stuff out there happening. And one of the big things would be if we could, because it would change everything, if we could get more efficient and larger amounts of power, of energy, because that would reduce the costs of things like shipping. Um, they would reduce the cost of things like packaging and, and all of these other things we would mm -hmm. need. So we were just looking at a couple of different emerging technologies, and we won't spend too much time on this. Um, 2019, according to a lot of the, the news that has been coming out about energy improvements, 2019 was a year that wasn't too exciting about brand new developments, but it, there was some really cool stuff in there happening that's more of um, a minor improvement that you can kind of see the tail of, right? You can see kind of where it's headed. The, we found something called floating solar, which is really interesting to me, and I hope you find it to be uh, fascinating too. Uh, it, the idea is taking a solar array that you've probably seen pictures of somewhere online that generally it's in a desert or somewhere or a more arid climate where you've just got – solar panels in a huge circle or a different arrangement that's just out there aiming at the sun at all times trying to generate electricity. Well, floating solar uses a body of water uh, that, that isn't usually used for a specific human purpose. So imagine a hydroelectric dam's reservoir. So like the water that's above a hydroelectric dam that then that water flows down through the dam system and generates electricity through turbines. This floating solar array would sit on top of that reservoir and it would look kind of like the other solar arrays you've seen before. It's just they're floating on the surface of the water that isn't going to be used anyway. Right. The surface isn't. Right. Um, then you can generate a bunch of power there. And the cool thing about this is that because, in this case at least, if it's really close in proximity to a power generation plant already with that hydroelectric dam, it's really easy to transfer the power generated on that floating array to the grid itself, which uh, as we're going to keep talking about here, that becomes one of the major problems with new energy technologies out there that might give us a bit of um, a step up when it comes to helping everyone. So another one, another technology that you can think about is uh, offshore wind farms. Mm -hmm. So wind farms that are, you know, relatively far out into the ocean or offshore and the, the wind out there can generate energy really effectively. The problem is if you're far enough away, it becomes extremely difficult to get that power generated because it's so far away from the grid to the grid. Mm -hmm. So um, there are new technologies coming out about the types of cables and how those cables would function to actually bring more power to the global grid. Um, that seems like a cool thing. There's new nuclear technologies that are emerging, like we talked about with Chris Cogswell. Mm -hmm. the, there's stuff in there about molten salt reactors, which seem to be a little bit safer than the fission reactors that we, you know, that are so um, common right now on the planet. Uh, but there's also that concept of fusion that we talked at length with Chris about that really does seem to be happening. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I was so skeptical when we were initially talking about it. But since then, like smaller fusion reactors 
are a real thing that seem to be happening. So that could really change the game as far as being able to get uh, either to produce the food that is needed and to uh, clean the water efficiently um, and put power plants in places that we normally wouldn't even consider doing it if Mm -hmm. you're a large corporation. Yeah, and all of the the problem is all those technologies that we've named have some major pre- drawbacks. <laughs> major drawbacks. They have you know, including stuff like uh, the overhead or the initial costs, mm-hmm. safety or environmental concerns, and then uh, problems of scale. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, none of that. None of these things we're talking about are going to change the game really in the way we're imagining here. Mm-hmm. But except for fusion, fusion could. It could. Yeah. I think fusion could. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would love for it to be. I, I would love for that to be the case. Like for for any of those things we just named, uh, solar or hydroelectric or fusion, to make it off of the drawing board or off of the to move from the column of potential solutions to practical or implemented solutions. Uh, we're not there yet. Yeah. We're not there yet. And then how on earth do you bring the cost down to something like fusion enough to make it mm-hmm. extremely helpful? There's, there's another – whenever we talk about technology and its possible role in improving the lives of the, of the people who are members of the species, one big thing must be addressed and that is the concept of what is often called AI or artificial intelligence or, uh, you know, increasingly academics prefer the term machine consciousness mm. uh, because they say, you know, if a consciousness is a consciousness. How is a machine's consciousness any different theoretically from uh, a meathead's consciousness? You know, what makes one artificial and one not, right? It's the meat. It's the meat. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be our advertisement for premium organic brains in the in the black meat market. It's the meat. Uh, <laughs> I wish you guys could see the expression Matt had. It was uh, it's perfect. I nominate you as spokesman. Oh, oh I accept. All right. So, uh, so before we talk about AI, let me let me pitch you a little bit on why why people are excited about having a non-human consciousness or collective handle these logistical problems, these distribution problems, which is really – that's what a lot of this is. Well, first, no matter what our our lovely little primate brains can make technology-wise outside of AI, we may not have the tools mentally to take advantage of this. Our brains, you see, are one of the most important pieces of early human technology, how we got where we are. Our brains, make no mistake, are the, are, are the reason for all the good stuff the human species has done. They're also the reason for all the bad stuff we've done. Uh, it's, it's kind of like a Promethean fire, right? So the problem is that our brains, like any other computer – have have you know they've they've got code and they've got limits to their capabilities. Uh, our brains naturally balk at the idea of deliberately lowering our individual standards to help some abstract collective of thousands of other brain com- billions of other brain computers that we will never ever 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 meet. Sorry, the odds against you meeting all the people on the planet right now 
are, are astronomical because so many are dying every minute and so many more are being born. You're just, you just don't have time for it in your schedule. And even if you're lowering your individual standard of living to, to something that's survivable, something that's not that bad, something that's not terrible, but just isn't as awesome as you would want, you'll, you'll never really see the impact of that on the planet, you know, not, not no. in your lifetime. And our brains already knew this way before we did, which brings us to uh, one of the chilling theories that that is i don't know about you matt but it's sort of changed the way i look at the world okay it's uh something called dunbar's number oh yes yeah we've which we've mentioned before it's named after a british anthropologist named robin dunbar long story short dunbar is convinced through his research that there is a ratio uh, a correlation between brain size and in primates and the amount of people a given primate can consider other people or other primates, living, thinking, feeling beings with their own motivations, their own goals. That number for human beings, according to Dunbar, is 150 people, ballpark. That means then that once you get to like 152 people, Two of those aren't people. They're, they're just sort of functions. They happen. You they're, know what I mean? They're uh, bots. <laughs> yeah, right? They're, they're, um, they're verbs. They're mechanisms. They're yeah. processes that you see, it, you see moving around you, but you don't think of them as people. I'm imagining it as a social media thing. Let's just say – let's use Facebook. You've got 150 Facebook friends. Mm-hmm. And you know all of them. Right. You really truly know all those people. Mm-hmm. And then that, that number starts to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. And now it's just kind of a picture of a, a representation of a human mm-hmm. with each of those profiles. Yeah. And you do that obnoxious thing people do on social media where you, where you don't really care at someone's birthday, but you get a notification. So you pop a HBD over there because God knows you don't have time to write all two, both of those words out, right? That's right. Uh, so, the problem then is if Dunbar's theory is correct, the problem is less one of material goods or resource availability, and it is more one of our inherent neurological wiring, our hardwired inability to think that uh, humanity as we understand it, exists, really exists past a certain threshold of about 150 people. But in, in your experiment here, Ben, we're talking about allowing some extremely sophisticated computer system to decide who's going to get fed when and with what? Wait, wait. I want to – I just want to hit this though. Okay. From what I was saying, if Dunbar's theory is true, then that means that all other things aside – Yeah including the most popular ideology of this age or the most popular religion, which would be economy, money, currency, things like that. Uh, That means that we are the biggest obstacle to our own success. The problem, the problem isn't how much food is being grown. The problem is us. You know what I mean? And yes, I see where you're going where 
it gets a perfect setup. Do we then eschew our individual and um, species-wide responsibility? Do we do we build a better brain and just trust it? Some kind of Skynet, some kind of uh, technological god made of ones and zeros that will tell us where the cantaloupe is supposed to go every harvest? For many people, that is a troubling thing because then we're, coast, we're, we're consigning our entire species' existence to be the, the children of something else that we've created. You know what I mean? And then we have to also say we would blindly trust this thing and we would no – matter, like, no matter how – what kind of system we put in place – to watch the watchman, as it were, uh, we would have we would have very little recourse. You know, once once you hop on that wagon, uh, once you hop on that train, there's not a, really an easy way to get off because of the power you would have to give that sort of mind. Yeah, well, I, I'm on board. You're on board. Yeah, let's call it mana. Uh huh. It'll be the mana system on the Gaia grid, and uh, it'll it'll just send. All the food and water resources necessary to the entire globe that needs them, mm. uh, no matter where they're produced and at what time. It'll calculate like when, when foods will spoil and how far they can actually travel. Oh, it's going to be incredible. Mega algorithmic network assignment? I don't know. That's pretty good. No, I mean it's good for a 1960s short story, but mm, – uh, <laughs> Yeah, there maybe there's automation in there, or or uh, what's another really good A? Ant, not an Android. Uh, uh, assistant, no. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, massive artificial neural algorithm. That's pretty good. Uh, I don't know. You I know. was just thinking more of the sim- the symbolism of the mana from of the gods. Mana. It just yeah. fall, you know, drops from the drones. Oh, I love the, the name. Let me be clear about that. <laughs> I am one hundred percent on board. I think mana is the way to go because we want something that sounds non threatening, right? <laughs> yeah. But of course, you know, you can see how people wouldn't trust that because for many people, the existence of something like that would not be a positive addition to their immediate lives. Sure, it would probably mean that within five or six generations, your descendants would have uh, – would live in a world that was environmentally better off, right? And it means that overall, within several generations, people in general would be okay. But for you, buddy, as soon – when the manna starts falling – uh, that's going to mean that the, your quality of life takes a definite and observable hit. And, yeah. you, and you're just going to have to trust like, oh, there's something bigger than me and bigger than mana. And it is this this tremendous, tremendously controversial fad called human human existence. And you know what we'd end up doing if we did actually get that system in place? Uh, we would increase that world population clock. We, it would go up well, a lot faster. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. the deaths would happen at a much smaller rate if everybody had what they needed. And then overpopulation actually truly for real becomes a problem. Yeah. And uh, all the Malthusians are able to resurrect their old beliefs. And then furthermore, of course, 
it, it, you know, we're ascribing benevolence to something like this, some kind of creation like this. But the big question is, uh, if it's solving the problem the most logical way, then the easiest, most efficient answer to making life better for the existing population would be to reduce the size of the existing population. And then the survivors would not have to take a huge hit on their quality of life. And the survivors would actually tend to have a better quality of life depending on the size of the population you left over if you were mana. Oh, it's just, you know, the old artificial intelligence culling that we've been waiting for. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> right? I check the world clock every day. Just for a heads <laughs> like, up. Oh, whoa, <laughs> that number's a lot lower than it should be. I Yeah, yeah you know, I have these uh, – I have these feverish moments where I think one day I'll check the world clock and I'll find out that something terrible has happened because it starts going down. Yeah, wow. But of course that wouldn't really work because it's based on these estimates. They're based on studies that were conducted yeah. years in the past. Have you seen – I think we've talked about it before. Have you seen that movie that was available on Netflix a little while ago called Mother? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. Yeah. Or I Am Mother? No. What, what was it called? Um, it was the one about the AI two. system, not not the Aronofsky one, right? But it's the one about the it's one about the machine consciousness that is raising a daughter, yes, who is human, yes. Ooh, man, you could it's mana at work there. It is mana at work. It very much is. Well, there we have it. Turns out there is enough food and potential shelter. For every single human being living on this planet, water is a different thing. Uh, we still see people dying from starvation, poor diet, disease, lack of shelter, and more and more and more. Why? Because there are several problems. First, the existing systems that we came up with over thousands and thousands of years, they were just not built to accommodate a population of this size. You know what I mean? Like a uh, – it's, it's kind of like a um, – like a, a lemonade stand is not meant to be an industrial lemonade factory. As a matter of fact, most kids who start a lemonade stand never think this should be something – this should be an operation where I can feed, you know, or give 10 times the amount of people the lemonade that I was making for maybe 20 people a day. That's, that's just the facts. Now, we can, we can make better systems maybe, but second, related to this problem – we have just now begun. This is an exciting time to be alive. We have just now begun to create global supply systems capable of addressing the labyrinthine logistics needed to feed and house everyone. And that's not even counting how to keep those people from getting sick. That's just making sure they have somewhere to sleep and enough to eat. And third, forget all the fancy agricultural improvements, all the hypothetical stuff that we're talking about today, our brains themselves are old technology. Our brains are arguably obsolete and we still don't fully understand them. We literally do not have the physiological capacity to understand the size of the human population, nor do we have the ability to think of this population in terms of individuals. We, we have a limit hardwired to our empathy and cognition. So after about 150 or so people, you – me, everyone you know, 
cannot conceive of others as actual feeling, thinking human beings. Do you feel pity for uh, a maple tree growing somewhere in Missouri in a specific coordinate? No. Why would you? You, just, you know the idea of a maple tree, but you don't know that one. Yeah. And why, like, so how is a human being by that maple tree any different from the tree? You know, it's not a human being to you. Yeah. I don't know about this Dunbar guy. No? You think he's poisoning the well a bit? It feels like a very pessimistic view of our brains and our capacity for empathy. Technically still a theory. I know. I think I think inside of us there is more capacity for it. But I understand the concept. Well, well okay. Think about this then in, in more concrete terms and more microcosmic terms. Happiness as we understand it is kind of relative. You might ask yourself, how can a person making $12 an hour be happier than someone making $50 an hour, for example? Well, first off, happiness is not entirely based on finance. We understand that. But if we look at that example, we find that if someone is making $12 an hour, they'll tend to be happier with their income so long as they know all their colleagues are making less, all the other people who work with them, even if it's just a little less. If you make $12 an hour and you work somewhere where you know for a fact everybody else makes $11.50 an hour, just that 50 cents will tend to make you happier. However, let's go to our person making 50 bucks an hour. They'll be irritated. They'll be PO'd. They'll be unhappy if they make $50 an hour and they know their colleagues are making just a little more, you know, just like $55 an hour. They'll be, they'll be incensed. There's no justice in this bleak and uncaring, godless <laughs> universe. Uh, it feels very relative, but I guess it is. That's a, kind of the point mm-hmm. here. And then they and they will completely not. They will tend to not really identify with the person making twelve dollars an hour in the office across town. So it seems that a fine, a refined appreciation of inequality then is inherent to our our existence. And probably back in our uh, just out of the trees running around the savanna days, that was very beneficial to our species. So for some reason, we humans tend to think of success less in terms of having quote-unquote enough and more in terms of having more than other people or like I am successful because other people have less than me. Or if we want to do it a half full way, I am successful because it could be worse. I am better off than I could be. And shifting away from this concept, make no mistake, would be a fundamental change. Were we to – this is the question that bothers me, man. Were we to overcome this hurdle, would we still be human beings? Would we still be the same species? If we were no longer jealous of each other's finances? If, if finances, yeah. And it, like, uh, but, you know, more each, or less. Each into that, yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think so. If we were capable of – uh, if we were capable of describing success and happiness in just terms of how am I doing? Am I okay? Do I have enough? Instead of how am I doing? Am I doing better than other people? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think that exists in a lot of people right I, now, especially people who don't have much. I believe so. 
Um, I think that I think what we're talking about here is really describing. It's more describing the person that's making fifty dollars an hour, hmm. um, who's already experienced that a little bit of knowing what having a lot is. The, to me, that's what I'm hearing, but that, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. That's interesting because we we didn't talk about that yet. Maybe it's a story for another day. But studies also show that. People who have – if we want to keep it in the realm of finance, people who have lower incomes or lower on the socioeconomic scale tend to contribute to charities. Uh, they tend to contribute a larger proportion of their income than the, the quote-unquote haves. Yeah. We did that whole episode on how wealth makes you a bad person. Which I still – I went back and re-listened <laughs> to it. Yeah. And I was hoping things would have changed. They haven't. They ha- I think we nailed it. It, uh, the conclusion of that one, spoiler, which still holds up and is worth listening to, uh, is that our per- uh, like personal opinions aside, because uh, science doesn't care about those, multiple studies prove that people tend to behave, quote unquote, worse uh, the higher they go up uh, a certain financial scale. Yeah. And again, we're not saying that it automatically makes you bad, any of that stuff. We're just saying multiple studies prove ten people tend to behave in a less cool manner. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That's a good way to put it. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I guess the question now is like how – like, okay, the, it's a personal question. Mm-hmm. It's and it's aimed at at you. How much would you give up if you if you knew that by giving up something of yours, others would be better off and would be safe and would survive and would have more happiness? How much would you be willing to give up? Mm-hmm. And that's a tough question to answer because I think to you know every single person here thinks or knows rather that they have responsibilities in their life. They have, you know, maybe a family, maybe a friend group or a community that they are supporting, um, that they're doing their best to do that. And then imagining giving up more, um, it's probably a difficult thing to pose to somebody to, to think about even. Especially if you, especially for instance, uh, you have no way of proving that that effort would be reciprocated, which is the case. And is fundamentally the case. And then, furthermore, you know, we're not talking about we're not talking about people giving up stuff that was just given to them. People have worked hard; they have put in blood, sweat, tears, and time. You know, wow. yeah. Now we're saying, "Hey, give it up for someone you don't know," uh, and then just trust us, says Mana. It'll all work out. Or in the case of Mana, yeah, it would just be <laughs> a mandated thing. But yeah, we want to know: is some sort of benevolent Machine consciousness, our only hope. Can can humans get the band back together and yeah. uh, and, and put out a uh, a more successful album in this in our long discography of existence? Boy, that was a terrible. That was, that was pretty good. I don't know, man. We're working live, but but let us know. We want to hear from you. As we said at the top of the show, you can tell us uh, your opinion on this uh, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're conspiracy stuff on uh, Twitter. Uh, we love to recommend our Facebook community page. Here's where it gets crazy. Uh, I am going to say again, 
that there is a huge chasm between what is possible and what is plausible. So it is possible to improve the lives of people on the planet, of everyone on the planet. Is it plausible? I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think we're there yet. I think we will be there, but it's going to take a global catastrophe. And then that'll get us to that kind of Star Trek yep. post-scarcity. Uh, where there is a threat to the species at large. And there kind of is one, guys. It's called uh, <clears throat> global climate change. Oh, but you want, I mean, but you're talking about something more Hollywood friendly, right? I, I am talking Hollywood friendly. I'm talking uh, a little bit of blue beam. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean blue beam. I, I just mean if there is enough of a threat to the species at large, I think preserving each and every individual will become paramount. And then these kinds of changes will occur. Right. Because then, they'll have to. And the size of the problem will be smaller too. Yeah. So let it. <laughs> By the way, there is a global pandemic. I, uh, maybe pandemic occurring right now. Yeah, but again, to our earlier conversation, I, I feel like the. I feel like it's a battle of semantics with pandemic. You know what I mean? I know the official definition is not going to change the way an infection ravages a body. Maybe, maybe I don't know. How about the numerous, very troubling outbreaks occurring across the planet? Yeah, maybe that'll maybe that'll be what it takes. Maybe that'll be the big kickstart we need, right? It'll be zombies. Me zombies you or think? yeah, aliens. I would say yeah, or a, a huge natural disaster, non-terrestrial disaster. Well, Matt, it happened. We once again started talking about the end of the world yeah. <laughs> as we know it. Uh, and stuff is bleak. Mm. Well, hey, here's a question that's probably on everybody's mind as as we reach the end of today's show. Uh what, how can they tell us their take on uh, whether there's enough for everyone if, if – like I have an opinion about this, for instance, but I hate using social media. How do I get in contact with you guys? Ah, uh, you can call us. Our number is one eight three three S T D W Y T K. Give us a call. Tell us what you think. You might end up on an episode, but uh, one way or another, we're going to hear what you are saying and uh, – that is either a good thing or a bad thing uh, for you. <laughs> but uh, we're excited to hear your opinions, your jokes, your ideas for episodes, whatever you want to tell us. Give us a call. You can call in just like this person did last night. Uh, hi there. This is Jade from Spokane, Washington. Uh, I was just reflecting on your guys' recent episode about the coronavirus and I live in Spokane, obviously, and I live about a quarter mile away from a hospital where they have taken, I think, five, maybe more patients uh, that have been infected with the coronavirus and are holding them at that hospital because it's one of 10 in the U.S. But ever since that was announced, I have seen at least two helicopters a day come in and out and it'll be at random times of night. And, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, not so sure that, uh, those are legit helicopters. Not sure what you mean there. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Who is controlling them? Like, what is the uh, company, basically? And what is their purpose? Yeah. yeah. 
It, mm. It's thank you first off for calling in uh, with this on the ground news. We need primary sources. Uh, as we know, our coronavirus episode, uh, we went back and forth. We felt it was important to make this episode and we knew that uh, because we were in the nascent stages of the development of the infection, we would have to come and do an update. So we need your help with this, especially if you have on the ground experience. Uh, the sad truth of the matter here and the dangerous truth of the matter is that given the way the U.S. has currently handled COVID-19, there are easily thousands of undiagnosed cases around, you know, uh, and I would I would not be surprised at all if the official messaging we're getting does not match the actual activities that governments or states are taking to stave off the infection. Yes. I know. I, I do. I agree with that. It is one of those things that is still making me nervous. My news feed is just filled with updates about new clusters of infections mm -hmm. and ugh, it's giving me nightmares but thank you for calling in with information from a specific area uh, feel free to call back again with any kind of update you in particular uh, I believe Jade is what you said mm -hmm. and uh, anyone else please call in leave a message and if you don't want to do that please send us a good old fashioned email we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. 
Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. Thank you.